0: Welcome to the Cedar House Church Sermon of the Week. Our desire is to remain in God's presence, explore His passions, and supply tools that serve and inspire our city. Um, So thankful uh, to be here with you guys. I just love what God is doing uh, here at Cedar House. I consider it such a blessing and a privilege to be a part of this community. Um, All of you who have poured in and helped us kind of build what we've got so far. Just really appreciate it. It's been a really fun journey, and we will continue down uh, this path. Just just really, really honored to be here. We're going to have a Vision Sunday, probably towards the end of August, where I'm going to talk about what's coming in the next, uh, what, what we believe is coming in the next uh, 6 to 12 to 18 months, which will be really good. We'll kind of give a broad overview of uh, who we are, what we're doing, and why we're doing what we're doing. And today I'm going to hit on a lot of that stuff, too. So I'm just really excited about that. You guys are good? You see some familiar faces. If I don't know everyone, my name's Landon Snow, and I'm just really, really excited to be here. So this week, Stacy and I are going to be in Seattle Monday through Saturday. So I'm going to let you all experience this all-time high humidity. And I'm going to go to Seattle, which is basically heaven on earth in the summer. For those of you who don't know, we lived there for four years in our 20s. And the weather report is not lying. It literally rains all the time. It is gray all the time. But there's two months of summer that is the most glorious place on the planet. And we're just going to go stare at the mountains and the sun. On the, my app, there's not a single cloud in the sky for the whole 10-day forecast, you know what I'm talking about, when you see it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's going to be amazing. Um, so we're excited about that. But we, uh, we're we going because sadly, um, with a little bit of celebration too, Stacy's 94-year-old grandfather passed away. Um, he lived a really long, healthy life. He was driving at 90, uh, just the life of the party. His brain was still sharp. Um, just a really, really great guy. I'm uh, really, really thankful for my heritage uh, with him. His name was Hank, and everyone loved Hank. Hank specifically loved a couple stories about me. Uh, he, he liked to tell the same stories, but it wasn't out of, like, dementia. It was, like, choice of he just thought these stories were funny. And he would tell them as though, like, I'm going to laugh, and I'm going to keep saying until everyone in the room laughs at what I'm saying. There's one particular story where I, I broke my collarbone about 10 years ago, and he loved telling this story uh, to everyone that he knew anytime I was around. So, about 10 year, years ago, almost to the day, Stacy and I were living close to campus, and uh, it was the day of Stacy's older brother's wedding, and I was gonna read um, scripture during the wedding. And I thought, well, I'll just go for a quick run, you know, I gotta keep my figure. And so I decided to go for a run, and uh, like an idiot, I decided to jump a fence uh, when I could have gone around it. You can laugh. This is it's a little tense. It's okay. And I jumped over it, and I broke my collarbone in two places. Um, so the whole, I mean, the families are flying in from, you know, out of state at this for this wedding, and I'm not available. And it's a really big deal. And I show up at the very end in a cast and this giant thing. He thought it was the funniest. <laughs> he would literally tell everyone, like, like, you know, I'd go visit him, and he'd get all of his older friends and be like, let me tell you about Long John here. Uh, he, he thinks he can jump over buildings and uh, and he just laughed at my expense um all the time it's it's like at forty years old that's not funny there's some age where it crosses where i 'm like, okay you can laugh at me like once you hit eighty, you can kind of make fun of someone and it's okay you know there's some line there i don't I don't have a theology for that i'm just this is just a social cue you know um but anyway. We love him. We're just celebrating him, and um, we're going to have a really good time. So, but we'll, we'll be back next Sunday for sure. So anyway, today I want to talk to you guys about church, um, specifically Cedar House Church and how we view certain subjects. Um, I'm talking about actually this church, not necessarily the body of Christ at whole, but just our house, our internal house here, and specifically through the lens of what today I'm going to call the fivefold ministry. Jesus gave us a lot of tools in scripture um, and for us to know how to do church well and to do life well. And what I'm calling today the fivefold ministry, it's apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist. We'll, we'll jump uh, a little bit more heavy into that. So I typically don't talk about church, uh, specifically in the past, I haven't talked a lot about church. And my reasons for that is that I always think that church is not supposed to be about church. It's not about having just great church services. That's never been my goal. Like, hey, let's, let's just have awesome church for the sake of having awesome church. That's not the goal. That's not, that's, that's not the goal of church, just to have awesome church. Um, JP, Dave, and I went on a leadership conference one time a couple years ago, and a guy said, if all you're doing is having great church services, it's like having the best party on the Titanic. And I just, I fully agree with that. It's so our mission statement here is to remain in God's presence, explore his passions, and supply tools that serve and inspire a city. So, remaining in God's presence here, we come and we encounter God, and then we supply tools to inspire a city. Jesus called that being salt, light, and leaven. So a good key performance indicator if, if a church is thriving is if outside these walls are we thriving? Are we encountering God here? Are we having community here? And are we taking that out into the city? That is a huge part of my heart. And so I've, I've stayed away from talking about church for, uh, we've been a church, we've been in this building for a year and a half, um, kind of stayed away from it a little bit on purpose. And a lot of the reasons why is what I wanted when I started a church was a couple things. And I was so nervous that if we don't have the presence of God and supernatural activity happening because of that, I didn't feel like we were doing a good job or what the father wanted. And so for two years, I've just made sure we have that thing and everything else has just kind of fallen into place. And I, I, I've traveled a lot in my 20s, specifically at different churches, and kind of put my dipstick in and just felt the presence in the room. And it's happening here. It is happening here. There's a, there's a measure of God's presence. There's a measure of God's glory here that I'm really, really excited about, and I value that so much. But what I feel like God is shifting us into is how do we protect that thing? And how do we build around that? How do we build a wineskin, if you will, to be able to take what God is doing here and to be able to hold a bigger movement that I feel like God wants? You guys with me? So if if church just becomes about church, we're we're in a bad place. But so some of you know this last Vision Sunday, I talked about how um, I felt like 2018 was going to be a season of hiddenness. And God would somewhat hide our church to get ready for a bigger outpouring coming in the following years. And so I feel like God's kind of gritting us to go to the next step of what he has for us. So we don't have a lot of scripture on the early life of Jesus. We have there's several accounts of his birth, but we don't have a lot of him being a child. But there's one story of him being a child that I think is just really awesome. Anytime something's in Scripture, and it's, it's specifically in the life of Jesus, it's the most dense revelatory information that we have, and it's really important that we pull a lot of gold from it. So I'm paraphrasing here. So Jesus and his family, his mom and dad, they're going to a feast or a festival or a Passover. You could look at that like they're at a conference. So they're all walking to a conference. They go to the conference. They leave the conference. And they're a day's walk out, and they realize we lost Jesus. Okay, I have four daughters under seven, and I've lost a child for about a minute at Costco. And the amount of anxiety that begins to rise up in me is overwhelming. If it's 15 seconds, I'm literally, oh, God, you know. And there's four of them now, so it's just a giant herd. Um, But making sure that they're all in one place and trying our best to take care of them. Mary lost God for three days. (laughs) You know you're in trouble when you lose God. We can't find God. This is a problem. I, I can only imagine the conversations that Mary is having in her mind about when she gets before the Father. Like, okay, God... I really appreciate that whole favor thing and the, the, the pregnancy and the birthing thing. And I, I really appreciate that you trusted me. And I, I feel like we did a good job. Around 12 years old, we, we lost your son. <laughs> That's a conversation you don't want to have. Like, hey, the whole plan that you had in place, we really messed it up. We lost God. What do we do? So she, the, the Bible says for three days, they can't find him. And they go back to uh, where the conference was or the church was, if you will. And they find Jesus and he's sitting amongst the teachers and they're all in awe of the the revelation that he carried. And Mary says, Jesus, we've been anxiously looking for you. And his response is, but didn't you know I'd be at my father's house? And one of the translation is, didn't you know I needed to be at my father's house? Jesus was attracted to something. He knew something about being in a geographical location with other people, that there was a stronger presence of God there than not there. And that's a really big cue for us. See, here's the thing, though. Jesus was in his father's house. Jesus was gathering around the father. Jesus wasn't gathering around a theology. Sons and daughters gather around the father. Orphans gather around theology. Jesus didn't say, hey, come check this place out, really neat stuff's happening. He said, hey, the the Father, this is the Father's house, this is where the Father is. So, So for me, what that means is, is the Father welcome here in our service? Are we okay with God being God? And if God's not here, we need to shift something. Are you with me? And so with the presence of God, with what we feel like has kind of started here, it's so important to protect that and cherish that as the highest goal. The Father's presence of being around God as a Father is the highest reality, is our number one agenda that we have here. And Jesus gave us some tools in Scripture to teach us how to maintain that and keep it the highest priority. Are you with me? You should be excited. Who's excited? Okay. So, um, I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 16. So, Christ himself gave the apostles, prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Okay, I want to stop right there for a second. Who gave these gifts? Christ. This is a gift from God. This is not a commandment. We do not have to do this. But this is God setting us up for success. Anytime God gives a gift, it's so you and I can be more successful and it leads us to life. This is a privilege and an honor to be able to do this. As I'm about to cover this, you'll see not everyone chooses to use this. And I'm not here to say to you that what's right or wrong or if someone else is doing it right or wrong. I'm going to give you my perspective specifically on how we're going to do it at Cedar House. Are you with me? God's giving gifts here to set us up to do church really well. Um, Now, I want you to see something. Um, I, I, I take scripture really literal. So, for example, when Jesus says, hey, heal the sick, do you know what that means to me? Heal the sick. I don't need to change scripture to fit my comfort zone or what I understand. I need to change who I am to fit scripture. Are you with me? So when he says here, hey, here's a gift I've given the church, this is concrete to us that we need to be like, oh man, like I'm not, there's no reading between the lines. He just gives it to us. This is really good information. Okay. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in faith and in knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, so that we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. For him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does the work. So the purpose of the fivefold is to equip the saints. This is God giving us a template, a reference point, if you will, so that the people can be equipped so we see transformation. This is a a really big deal. Now, Every part of the fivefold of what I just read—apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist—they all need each other, and we can't afford to be heavy on one side and not heavy on the other. I used to not think that because I was like, heaven on earth, God's invading, and this is all that matters. It's not true. They're all five in there, and they're all really important. And if if, it—not trying to water it down, but it's—it's almost like a personality assessment. So what, I, what I'm encouraging you to do is just, which lens do you see the body of Christ through? Which lens do you see God through as I go through this? Now, even before I start, I want to say this. This used to weigh on me a little bit, the fivefold. Let me explain. I, I grew up around the prophetic, and so I had a lot of people prophesy over me that I was going to be a pastor. Well, as I got older, as I started learning what that meant, it was kind of like, well, I don't know if I want to be a pastor. I don't know if I like that anointing. The apostolic anointing seems pretty awesome. I want that one. Or why is that person this one? And what if I feel like I'm two of them? And and it, it began to weigh on me in a heavy way. And again, that's not, nothing God does suppresses. It's to set us up for success. So Stacy and I got a lot of our training. Uh, we lived in Northern California for a while at a church called uh, Bethel Church in Redding, California. And there, um, their, their local lead pastor is a guy named Eric Johnson, who's the son of the lead pastor, Bill Johnson, and I was in a leadership session with him one time, and I, I, they're, they're, that church is definitely operating in apostolic and prophetic, and I just, I said, how do you, how do you have a pastor, how can you pastor in this environment? This was like 10 years ago, and uh, so I got to talk to him after when he said, man, he said, he said, just be the best Landon you can be and let that stuff flush itself out. So here's what I'm saying. As I'm going through this, you don't have to be like, well, that doesn't fit my personality or my, like, I don't, you know, I want to be this or that. God will work itself out. The other thing is don't go around telling people what you are. Let other people tell you what you are. If you say you're an apostle, I don't think you're an apostle. For some reason, if you say you're an evangelist, I kind of believe you. I'm like, okay, that makes sense. For some reason, an evangelist is just kind kind of in that wave of things. You guys cold? Small church problems. The pastor is on climate control. Um, Okay, so I'm going to break these down. You guys ready? You strap on your revelation hats? All right, so first I'm going to start with apostle. Um, I want you to notice the, the, the order in which he does this. He says apostle, prophet. He puts them in order. There's another scripture where Paul actually says God first gave apostles and second prophets. Now, I want to make it clear. I'm not saying they're more important, but there is a flow to them. And it's important that we have apostolic and prophetic moving in our community. So the word apostle was a a term that came um, from the day in Rome. So what an apostle would be is that they would be someone who understand how Rome works. And Rome would conquer new land. Let's scoot over a little. <laughs> it's a giant video game. I have four kids. I can overcome a lot, but a giant video game in my ears, a lot. Um, the uh, apostle is someone who who knew what Rome wanted. Rome would conquer more land, and they would go and create that land to look just like Rome. So you got to think they they would think, what is the school systems like? What is traffic like there? What's the judicial system? How do taxes work? What is it, what's a stop sign look like? They took everything they knew from Rome, went and established it on this new property. You with me? Now, if think about Jesus being the head apostle. What Jesus did was everywhere he went that didn't look like heaven, which is where he was trained and equipped with the Father, he made it look like heaven on earth. So, for example, there's no sickness in heaven. So, when Jesus was around, people got healed. That's an apostolic thing to do. In heaven, everyone has food. So, when they ran out, he multiplied it. And Jesus is modeling for us I'm recreating what, how I was trained and the way my father taught me, and I'm putting it here on earth. Are you with me? This makes sense. So, the word apostle actually means one who was sent. So they knew what they needed, they would be sent, and they would go recreated in that position. Okay, apostolic people, there's more to it than this. Do the school of ministry or ask me questions. We'll go a lot deeper in this. I'm just giving kind of broad stroke here. Apostolic people are really focused on heaven on earth really focuses on what God is focusing on, focusing on what God said is possible. Training and equipping the body in miracle signs and wonders is very common for apostolic people. Apostolic people want to do church for God and let the people show up. So Apostolic people want all we want is the presence of God and the people will come to it. Um. City transformation is big for apostolic people. Why? They want to see the transformation from what they see from God. That means apostolic lens is literally how can our traffic laws be better? It it goes from let's raise the dead, heal the sick, drive out demons, all the way down to let's create the best school systems possible. Let's have the best um, trash pickup system. Are you with me? Transformation in every way. City transformation is big for apostolic people. Now, if you take apostolic people with that anointing or that bent out of the church, you're taking a huge, huge portion of supernatural activity and power. And to be honest with you, if we don't have supernatural activity and we don't have the power of God, it's not really the gospel. And I don't mean that in a mean way. I, The gospel is the power of God that leads men to salvation. Jesus modeled a very powerful, supernatural God and we need that. If we don't have that, we turn into everything we do becomes humanly possible and we're relied upon ourselves. We need God to move. So an apostolic mindset has that. Okay, so but why would apostolic people need the rest of the fivefold? Apostolic by itself gets way way too far over to the side. So apostolic, the reason why they need the rest of the fivefold is this. They would say things like, who cares what anyone thinks or feel, we just need revival. Not very pastoral. Uh, Why do people have needs? (laughs) That's funny. Come on now, that's funny. If you're an apostolic person, uh, hey, just find a scripture and change the way you think and just don't don't think like that and don't worry about it. I have a. I heard a guy say one time, apostolic people have a one-step program. It's, I'm going to lay my hands on you, and you'll fall out in the spirit, and you get up, and your marriage needs to be better. <laughs> anyway, so it's awesome we need that, but at the same time, that by itself is not the fullness of what God has. Are you with me? Apostolic people get asked this question. Why do you let people manifest in your church? That's just an inside joke for me. Um. Okay, moving on. You guys good? You with me? Apostolic? Okay, we're going to move to the prophetic. So prophetic people are really focused on what God is saying. Jesus modeled a life where he said, I, I can only do what the Father tells me to do. It's very, very important that we're having fresh words from God. It's not just what God said. It's what he's saying a fresh way right now. So what God does is he puts prophetic people in in a community that God will speak to and they speak into the community about what they think that God is doing. Uh, We prophesy here a lot. I'm unapologetic about it. I'm never going to stop doing it. I do want to say that we're, we're trying to create an environment that is safe for the prophetic. Prophecy has been so misunderstood and so abused and so taken in bizarre ways for so long that even when we talk about it now, I know red flags come up from people. But it's not that. And this, is, this is the heart of God. You're speaking the heart of God over someone. I, getting a prophetic word is like life to me. I, it, I always say, I, we're going to deal with the mess that it creates instead of not doing it. So we'll, we'll always have that lens. But prophetic people also need the rest of the fivefold. So why is that? You may find a prophetic person saying something like this I had a dream last night, there was a lion. I think you were in Africa. I think we're supposed to move to Alaska and start a church. And you're like, how did you get from this dream all the way to moving to Alaska? And what, like, what's going on? Are you guys with me? It's like, wait, hold on. What? Like, or I see a soaring eagle on fire ascending on your head. And I feel like that's God releasing a certain type of anointing on me and me and Stacey. The only one who thinks this is funny. You guys with me? Or, uh. Funny joke is, uh, uh, for prophetic people, a, um, a digital clock is not, is not for time. It's a portal to heaven. <laughs> it's like, oh, look, it's eleven eleven. It's transition. God's speaking to us, or 555, five, five, special grace. Look, and, and I love that stuff. I, I'm, I'm all about it. But that alone could potentially have us chasing squirrels all the way to Alaska. Are you with me? Just because it's weird doesn't mean that we shouldn't foster it. All I'm saying is it needs to be within the fivefold ministry. Amen? All right. So let's stop here before I go to the other ones. We started with apostle, prophet. That's the order that God put it in. On earth as it is in heaven for apostolic people. And what is God saying? Both of these are supernaturally the bent. Here's the bent the bent is on I need God and then supernatural activity happens. And here's why. The other three I'm going to go into are just as important, but it's really important to note the order that he put them in. We cannot just be, I'm a part of the Baton Rouge Rotary Club, and I think it's a fantastic organization. I absolutely love it. If we have no supernatural activity and we don't have the presence of God, we, we basically turn into that type of organization. The goal of church is not to be the best nonprofit that, helps people the most. I don't know how else to say I don't mean to beat people up who do it that way. I'm just trying to give you an understanding of, like, what would make us different. It's the presence of God. It's activity of heaven happening in our midst. Amen from somebody? Okay, thank you. All right, so move on to an evangelist. Evangelist goes and gets the people. Evangelist is thinking souls and more souls. We need to get more people out of the church going, telling everyone about Jesus and we need to get more people into the church so they can hear about the gospel. We really need evangelists. I love just a pure-hearted evangelist. Just like, man, more people need to know about Jesus. How do we get more people saved? How do we get more people into the kingdom? How do we get more people into heaven? Evangelists think like that all the time. Their whole aim is let's go get the people. Let's go get lost and let's make it happen. And again, I think that's amazing. But that by itself, if we're going to go get people saved, then what? Then what do we do with them? Hey, you're saved. Your marriage should be healed now. No, but it's not. Are you with me? So it's so important. We have to to be spreading the gospel. We were sent out. As the Father sent me, I send you. We're sent out to go get people. So we need that functioning in our body. It just can't be all that we are. A, a, A church that's really... Based heavy on evangelism, which is fantastic, is very much on the go. Go get the people, go serve more people. And that's fantastic. And that is a part of the wine skin that God has. So let's move to the pastor. So the pastor takes care of the people. The pastor's always thinking about the people, babies, birth dates, making sure you're in a small group. Is the temperature okay? How did people experience their first time? How's the parking lot? These type of things. We want to make sure everyone's plugged in. Everyone feels safe. Everyone feels shepherded. This this type of mindset is what pastors do. So I, I'm a i am a pastor a church, obviously. And it's funny when people are like, "Are you a pastor?" And and I'm not sure. I'm a fivefold pastor, so I'm always like, "Well, it depends on the lens of which I know what they mean." Especially in the south, they're like, "Oh, you're you're." They call me Pastor Landon, which is uh, it's an honoring thing. I totally get it. But it with that mentality, it's like, "Oh, you really care for the sheep, And I do, but I'm also like, "I just want the fire of heaven to come and consume everyone, and then everyone go out and like they'll you know, they'll figure it out. I'll cover them on in their journey, but go. Um, so anyway, but the pastors bring comfort, they create community. Here's the thing if we if it was just pastorally heavy, what we turn into is a community that focuses on people, and eventually church becomes about people, and when it becomes about people, it becomes about the people's needs, and we don't need God. Then it's all about just the comfort of people feeling comforted. See, the thing about in the kingdom of God, your comfort comes from the comforter. we should be, we should have so much activity of heaven happening that we're uncomfortable and leaning on the Holy Spirit. That, that's really true. I'm, I'm not being fun. Like, it's true. Like, we, we should, it should be that much activity happening because that's what Jesus modeled. Okay, moving on for the sake of time. And the last one is teacher. So a teacher is very devout on scripture, making sure that we're accurate. We're staying on scripture, on point all the time, making sure that it's in the Bible. How important is that? So important. So incredibly important that we're saying scripturally sound in everything that we do. Um, teachers are making sure that everything's in the Bible for what the apostles or prophets are saying. So can't, it's so important that people get taught. So if the evangelist brings them in, a teacher needs to be there to instruct them in the Word. It's so, so important. Okay, but why does the teacher need the rest of the fivefold? If it just comes about teaching, what happens is it becomes about who's right. And then so denominations form and churches form off of what we thinks right. And we start arguing about what's right and what's wrong. Again, we can't gather around scripture. We're gathering around a father. But how important is it to have teaching? It's so incredibly important. Outrageously important. So, so there you have it. Break it down real simple. Apostle, prophet. Evangelist, pastor, teacher. Apostle wants heaven on earth. It's the covering of a move of God. Open heaven. Second, prophetic people. Okay, we have an open heaven. God's speaking. What is God saying? Where are we going? How are we getting there? God, God, tell us how to get there. Evangelist goes and gets people or gets people out. They're, they're moving. They're taking what the apostles and the prophets are saying, and they're getting more people involved. The pastors are making sure that everyone's not completely confused about what the apostles and the prophets are doing and taking care of the needs of the people at all times. And then the teachers, same thing. They're just making sure that everything that's, all the activity going on is based in Scripture. Now, can you see that kind of wineskin? So it's important, and what Paul's saying here is that all five should be functioning at the same time. I really, really love that. one is not more important than the other. Um, Giving prophetic words is not more important than being plugged into community. It's not. It's all of it. And I know here we, sometimes, you know, what I hear people say is like, man, they're just like really Holy Spirit led. And that's like, I'm like, you mean that we're following the third part of the Trinity here on earth? Yes, that is true. We're, We're totally going for that. But at the same time, needing... Scriptural-based teaching, getting people plugged into community—these type of things—is what we're gonna continue to just build. What I, what I, I want you to know the way I see that. So it's not importance of order, but it is a flow from heaven. So I'm gonna give you a real-life example. There's a, uh, there's a story in scripture. This, this actually happened. Jesus is teaching one night, and it's so full that there's no more seats so these two guys have an idea, hey, if we just bring our friend, cut a hole in the roof, and lower him down, he can get healed. Now, just think about that logic. Like, if there were so many people here, God's healing people, it's just, like, amazing. None of us would think, I'm going to cut a hole in the roof and lower our friend down, right? I mean, that's, like, extreme faith, okay? Well, let me tell you what an apostolic person would do in that moment. They would do what Jesus did. Jesus wasn't thinking about the roof. He wasn't thinking about the disruptance of his sermon. He literally thought, this is fantastic. Look at the faith of these people. This dude is literally cutting a hole in the roof. They created something and are lowering a paralyzed man. I mean, the risk involved with the guy falling again would be extreme, right? Jesus honors the moment and says, your faith has healed you. And this man gets healed. That is an apostolic thing to do. (laughs) Amen. Okay, so now let's put the prophetic person in that same situation. They're literally thinking, oh, my gosh, there is a literal open heaven now. (laughs) There is a portal in our church, angels ascending to and from. I can literally see the stars. God is here. I have closer access to heaven to hear what God is saying. I'm so happy that there's a hole in the roof. Jacob's ladder is going to and from. (laughs) Eagles are soaring all around it. They're extremely excited about what's happening. Are you with me? Okay, same situation. The evangelist is thinking, this is fantastic. He's okay with this. We can fit more people in the room. (laughs) Or it's quicker to get people out the room. He's, He's allowed us to take the roof off and go to and from. This is great. The evangelist would love this moment. Okay, a pastor would be thinking, okay, the guy who just got healed, we've got to make sure he's in a small group <laughs> and make sure that everyone in the congregation is not completely freaked out. And a teacher's thinking, there's no way this is in the Bible. <laughs> God would not do this. I have no reference in the Old Testament of this being okay. I'm uncomfortable with this moment. Um. But, but do you get the gist of it? Okay. So listen, the, the supernatural activity of heaven has to be in our midst. Here, here's the main reason why I teach that. They're, they're, they're all five so important, and they're so needed. But the lens of the apostolic and the prophetic is, needs to be flowing in our group all the time. We have to have fresh words from God. We have to see God transform people's lives. It doesn't matter what we can create, a 12-step program, four-sermon series on this, a small group of this. If God's not on it, it doesn't bring change. It doesn't bring the rate of change that God is looking for. The presence of God is what Israel and Moses and Jesus camped around in making sure that we're staying in that. Are you with me? Um, I, I do want to say this. I... I, I Specifically here at Cedar House, um, you can take this if if you go to another home church as well who's pursuing the fivefold. Um, Character in the kingdom, the way you get promoted is through character and relationship connection. So it doesn't matter to me if I've known you for a week and you can prophesy people's phone numbers and you can see angels and all that if you don't have a a moral character level to withstand the anointing that God wants to put on you, it's not going to lead to good things. Are you with me? Pursuing these gifts is not important as having high character, okay? And the second thing is built off of relationship. The strength of a relationship is what in the kingdom gets you promoted. It's not about anointing. That's, that's great. I love that stuff. I'm all about it. But relationship and character are the things in the kingdom that will get you to Are you guys with me? Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cedarhousechurch.com.